Oh, how sweet it is. The Mets went to Oakland. The fans were knitting. The boys were hitting. Oh, I like that. The Mets dominated. I mean, the A's were terrible. The Mets dominated. And on top of a sweep and Pete Alonzo's home run parade, Brett Beatty is here to save the day. It's Brett Beatty. Yeah, the Mets wind up sweeping, but you see a lot of flaws still in this team. We see if the bottom of the lineup can pick up the slack. Beatty could be the answer. That and much, much more are coming up on this episode. And one guy they could use in the lineup to play DH is Daniel Murphy. He will play for the Long Island Ducks, and maybe he'll be a New York Met. And you'll hear the interview here first. He'll talk about his time with the Ducks coming up, time with the Mets, his incredible NLCS in 2015, all the memories, all the fun on your favorite Mets podcast. It's amazing but true from the New York Post with Daniel Murphy, and it's coming up next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, Mets take the field. So amazing, amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. And Pete gets one in the air to deep center field. Ruiz watches it go, and this game is tied. A monstrous home run. And a little looper into center field. Nemo on the run, diving, and he makes the catch. Brandon Nemo saves the game. Ground ball hit to third, waiting on an Escobar. The throw across the diamond in time, and the ball game is over. And the Mets win it in 10, 4-3 to, to sweep the eighth. Ooh, welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here with Nelson Figueroa. Those highlights you've heard courtesy of Picks 11. And what a game it was, how sweep it is. The Mets sweep the A's who might be playing uh, Jimmy John in fourth grade uh, tomorrow with how bad they are. Holy cow, that was a bad baseball team. But you play the teams on the schedule, and you got to beat teams like that in the schedule. And it came down to the wire Sunday to get it done. But a win is a win is a win is a win. And later in the show, we are excited, Figgy, to be joined by Daniel Murphy. Mets, a legend in my eyes, arguably outside of David Wright, who is everyone's favorite player. Daniel Murphy was my favorite Met. Saw him in spring training before he had a name on his back and just a number. Like, you know, that doesn't happen. That's like a Yankee thing. But he he was an unknown. And then he became the hitter that he was. A great player. He's going to join us for an in-depth interview. So stay tuned for that in a couple of minutes. We were going to throw right to that interview, but so much happened in like a six-hour span Sunday, Figgy, that uh, we had to hop on here because, one, the Mets suite, they get it done. Pete Alonzo, if you want to you know, change your avatar to the polar bear, so if you're watching this on the New York Post Sports YouTube page, you can look at Nelson Polar Bear Figueroa, and you could break down Pete Alonzo, who is on pace for 81 homers. There's the avatar bitmoji of Figgy. <laughs> which, uh, you know, looks like a younger version of you. Without him, I, I, he has more home runs than the rest of the team combined. It's getting ridiculous already. <laughs> he might hit 70, Polar Bear. He might uh, listen, you know, we, uh, we give credit a lot to Aaron Judge and what he's doing over on the other side of town. But, man, Pete Alonzo is just 
if you need a big hit in a big situation, he is stepping up in a major way. I'm, you know, I thought this was uh, the one game that got away from them. It was kind of a throwaway game because you already won the series. But no, Pete wouldn't have any of that. He got a fastball to hit, which is inexplicable to give this guy a fastball as if he can't leave the yard um, in any ballpark and just absolutely crushes that ball. He's just everything you hope for. Uh, and your power hitter, the middle of your lineup. Med hitters had a, the top of the lineup, had a tremendous series. Um, they were supposed to. They're supposed to beat up on bad pitching. The problem is, you know, you're looking at the bottom of the lineup, still not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're, you know, batting a combined uh, right around 200. Um, and you're talking the bottom four hitters in the lineup. So once you get past number five, whoever it is, and you can throw out a, a multitude of names, you know, they're just not getting the job done. Well, that might change here in about 24 hours as, you know, it hasn't been officially announced yet as we record this when people hear Monday we may hear, we assume Jose Budo, you know, they got Jose Budo and Jimmy Yacobonis, who uh, made my chicken parm earlier today. Uh, boom, dollar in the tip jar. Brett Beatty seems like he's on the way. So those problems, you know, he's not going to be the savior. We, you know, you don't, you don't want those expectations put on the kid. But when you have Eduardo Escobar, who the only thing he couldn't do was a double play, and he did it, a double play in the ninth inning, you know, strikeout even would have been better. You know, his 125, and listen, what he said before the game, fantastic, talking about Beatty deserves to be here, like, he's hitting well, like, he's a leader. You know, there's Mets fans out there who are like, cut him, designate for He's not getting cut. Budo's going to go down. He'll replace him. Scherzer will come back Wednesday, who has the back soreness. That's going to be the move. But he should still be on this team, but he shouldn't be playing every day. And listen, Daniel Vogelback shouldn't be either. Uh, he's not getting enough blame put on him. He's in 174, three RBIs, like, He's been terrible, and he's your everyday DH against righties. Like, Tommy Pham's going to start taking away. You know, and Pham had the, had the big homer, so he's going to be taking away time from him too. So, I don't know, man. Vogelback, Escobar days could be numbered. Beatty days are here. And, you know, if, if both Escobar and Vogelback, when they play, still struggle, it's not out of the realm to be, say Ronnie Mauricio days could be coming at some point this summer as well in Queens. Yeah, right now, if you're moving on to Beatty and you're not moving on from Escobar, you're not moving on from Vogelback as of yet, it's going to be one of those pitchers that goes down. Looking for a spark. You need a spark in the bottom of that lineup. Somebody to do something. The way that Beatty's swinging the bat down in the minor leagues, I mean, five home runs, driving the ball to all fields. The grand slam that he hit the other day on a fastball in, hit it out to left field with as much authority as a pull hitting, you know, right-handed hitter. Very impressive. Um, his poise of, you know, he's not sitting there pouting in the minor leagues. He's not sitting there going, look at me, look at all I'm doing. And I'm still not in the big leagues. I, you know, he, he kind of gets it. And, and that's what you hope from these young kids is that, you know, they, 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 they get what the situation is like. I, I spoke about this on WFAN yesterday, uh, last night about how, listen, whenever he comes up, we know he's going to come up. There's a method to the madness. There's no reason to panic right now. You're in April. You've played two weeks of baseball, 16 games, and you're sitting here saying, oh, you got to get rid of Escobar. No, you don't want to get rid of Escobar. Escobar struggled last year, but when he caught fire in that second half and had this September to remember, it helped that team get to the playoffs. And it helped that team in a major way. And I think that's something that you don't just throw away. You know, it, you know, people are crying for him to, to, you know, oh, he's only batting 100. Listen, he's a veteran guy. What is his track record? That he does hit and he will hit. It, it will come for him. But it just it seems every time he comes up, like you said, double play ball. Oh, well, don't want to do that. And he does it. And it's you feel bad for him. It's frustrating like, for him. And, and, and you know, people like me saying, yeah, he's a nice guy, but like, 
the saying is nice guys finish last nice guys hit 100 like it happens like there's this point where nice guys you know gotta go to the bench so like but he's he's a clubhouse guy like you played with guys who were great in the clubhouse might have been a bum on the field but they were so important in the clubhouse and you know the relationship they have with guys and that's who escobar is so this is Beatty's time he's in 400 he's got to be here Remember Michael Kadire, um, you could see the writing on the wall that Conforto was going to get the call up and Conforto was going to bite into his time and eventually take his job. And Kadire knew that. Kadire could see that. And he knew that the kid was deserving. And he, you know, he talked about Conforto the same way that Escobar was talking about Beatty. You know, it, it's going to be a thing about making sure that that kid is prepared. You want to win. You want to help somebody win a championship. You're not trying to just sit back and say, this is all about me. You really want the pressure to be off of you. So if you can play winning baseball, which the Mets are still doing, I think that's the reason, less of a reason to panic and say, oh, just get rid of Escobar. The Mets are still playing winning baseball. They're still winning ball games. It's not the prettiest. It's not the... Um, you know, the, the best we've seen this lineup hit, but that's uh, kind of the uh, the good part about it is that you know that it can get much, much better. So if Beatty can be that spark, fantastic. You got him while he's hot right now. So uh, he's coming up to the big leagues, you know, to face the Dodgers here over the next three days. I, I think I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see him, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. You know, he only had, what was it, 11 games last year? And before that, he didn't have many games in AAA last year either. So it, it'll be good to see him, you know, uh, rise to the challenge. And, you know, if he's that spark, you're going to talk about it for months and months to come. And it'll be on one of those SNY specials, you know, the moment that changed the season. In the tune of She's a Lady by Tom Jones, we're going to say, he's Brett Beatty. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's Brett Beatty. Talking about that Brett Beatty. And the Beatty is mine. I don't even want to talk about Scherzer too much because it's like he's going to start Wednesday and I'm hoping it doesn't become worse. But like we have to mention it because, you know, Verlander's down and it looks like he'll he had a side session. He'll throw a little bit more and hopefully, you know, be back by the first week of May. But it scares you when you're two top 40 year olds at the top of the rotation. One's on the IL, one gets a start pushback. I think the Mets are playing the safe. Scherzer said, I know what it was. I'll be fine. But, like, this is a long season, and you're already having a back and a major terrace, you know, Bay Terrace <laughs> issue under your armpits. You know, it's it's a bit of a concern here. So did, did that worry you at all when you heard about it? Not necessarily because he said he just needed a couple days. Now, if he was missing, you know, a start completely and it was, you know, it's going to take him another week at least to be ready, then I would have a little bit more concern. He's only missing three days. The minor things to monitor them and monitor them and 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 kind of nip them in the bud early. That's what you have to make sure of, especially with those two guys, because you want them for the home stretch more so than anything. Budo did a nice job today. Really, really did. Threw the ball well. A pleasant surprise to see because there's not a lot of depth in the starting rotation now that you have uh, Peterson and you have the big drip in there uh, on the regular, you're you're really clamoring for the one more starter, one more reliever. So you don't have names like what was the kid's name that pitched today? Yakabonis. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Yakabonis. Yeah, we, we played stu- we played stoop ball back in College Point. Me, my dad, and <laughs> Jimmy Yakabonis. He was uh, on the high school football team at College Point. Yeah. yeah, so you keep saying to yourself, with chance, championship aspirations, you got to have one more starter, one more reliever. That you well, they can... need a reliever, Figgy, like more than any other team in in the big leagues that's in contention because Jimmy John C- Curtis. You get why you you know out of you know through twenty eight pitches Saturday. 
but you don't want to go back to back. You got the Dodger for three. You got no off days this week. Like I get why, but that like, it's alarming when you can't trust anyone, but Robertson friend of the program now and Adam Adovino friend of the program, you know, the, the only friends of the program are the Mets best relievers. Let's put it at that. You can't trust anyone else. And that's concerning for a championship contender. Oh, without a doubt. And, and, you know, for Buck, it's almost like his hands are tied in those situations. I told you the one thing to worry about, Drew Smith has kind of proven himself over the years. Right. Every, yeah. every time that Drew Smith would pitch, we're like, man, he's good. his numbers are great. And I'm like, yeah, because he's pitching in, you know, meaningless innings. Let's see what happens when the game is on the line. And we noticed that, you know, he would get hit around, make mistakes. Um, but he is the, definitely the kind of player that you're looking for, the kind of pitcher who got better and better. He's more acclimated to those bigger moments now. Um, so you count on him, you know, in those pressure moments. Adovino and Robertson, they're going to have to get the job done. So when you see, you know, a guy get an opportunity today and you're like, oh, my God, why is he pitching in this situation? Because they have to see what he's got. You know, he's got you have to see if he's going to be reliable, not just in, you know, those games where you're either up or down big. But, you know, when it's crunch time and you need to make a pitch, his stuff is still got to play. But to me, he was just overthrowing a little bit, was a little wild. You saw that from Yacobonis as well, you know, up in the strike zone. Those are the nerves, right? You got to calm down a little bit because you're like, oh, my God, I'm actually in the game when it really, really matters. And so that's a takes a little bit of of getting used to. So those are the nerves that kick in. Uh, Robertson today, you know what I mean? He hits the first guy on the first pitch with a curveball. But what did you see out of him? No panic. I'm all right. I got this. Even fumbling the little uh, uh, little bunt ground ball towards him and he had to make the throw to third base. That was a little nerve wracking because a lesser player or a guy less experienced would have probably thrown that down the left field line if he threw it at all. So you love having those veteran guys in those big moments. Robertson has done a tremendous job, and they do need – they've got to get another arm in here, uh, lefty preferably. Um, Rayleigh has, has you know, had his moments, but I think you got to have another arm that you can go to and trust. You would be the ace of the ace staff. Like, I got to keep it – like, you would be <laughs> number one. You'd be a 20-game winner. You wouldn't be hosting this podcast with me if you were on the A's now because you would have got such a big deal and so much money from being there. Maybe you'd be the closer of the of the 2023 Oakland A's. Well, that's one of the things, you know, what's, uh, really look if you look at the numbers and you look at what's going on in baseball with the pitch clock, a huge byproduct is walks are way up. Walks are way up. These games I are fast. I feel rushed. I feel like guys yeah, are feeling rushed. You can rushed see and, it. You can see it, And that's a tribute it, to some of these injuries, I feel like, as well. You can see the, these guys are not comfortable with it because uh, by the time they get set, they just went through, man, what did I do here? What am I trying to do? The, you got the pitch calm working or not working. You got, you know, Alvarez is sitting there clicking the button with his, on his leg, and you're worried about Alvarez blocking balls in the dirt as well. Can he block it? He's never caught my slider before. Will he block my slider? All those little bit of, bit of doubt, and then you have a countdown at the same time, a 5, 4, 3, 2, wow, i got to make a pitch. It's nerve-wracking, and you're seeing uh, just it, – it, it's looking – it's a real bad uh, form of baseball to watch this over and over again. The stolen bases today, like they're just letting guys run because they can't even hold them on anymore without throwing over twice. It, so I, I, I'm not – necessarily a huge fan of the kind of baseball that I'm seeing right now. I think there's so much that has happened with the taking away the shift and adding the pitch clock that we're seeing a watered down, a diluted quality of the game rather than being able to say, yeah, it's a lot crisper. It's a lot faster because these guys are, you know, they're experts. They know what they're doing, but not everybody is. Well, the Mets do sweep the A's and, you know, as much as we could joke, we love to play the A's, you know, all season. 
I don't know if I would because they're that bad and it's hard to watch. Like 17 to 6, you would have thought the Jets beat the Oakland Raiders. And that stadium is a dump. There were fans knitting in the crowd. Security had that that uh Jimmy Yacobonis's cousin, Jimmy Laboot La Jimmy Boots or whatever that guy's name with athlete logos taking down this. Uh, fork ball uh, strikeout signs, which is like, come on, there's seven people in the crowd. Everyone looked like they were on acid in the crowd and tripping. And we knew they were stoned. It's Oakland. Like everyone's smoking a blunt in the crowd. Everyone's hammered on acid. But like, like you saw people dancing in the crowd. They kept flashing them. I'm like, these people, like what? Like they're they, don't even know, they don't even know what's going on. They're not, I don't they're think not they know they're the at game. a baseball game. No, they're, they're like, not there for the game. Where am I? And like the whole, the bullpen still out there. You have the, the, and I, I didn't even realize the dugout, there's no cover. Any foul ball could tear a guy's ACL sin, having a piece of gum in the dugout. Like it is dangerous ballpark for the fans, for the players, for the coaches and poor Mark Kotze. I think he wants to get fired. Cause like I've said before, I've said on my jet show, like fired coach is a great job. Cause you just get paid out for the whole contract and you don't have to work. Mark Kotze does not want to come to work every day at that dump of a stadium and a dump of a team. And I feel bad for ACE fans and, and that franchise. Cause there's nothing going right. Daniel Murphy's going to join us in a minute. We'll close with this. And, you know, the full interview will be YouTube, New York Post Sports YouTube. I think because it's a long one, I think we're going to break it into two halves here for Daniel Murphy since we did some rambling. And since I sang some Tom Jones on, on this episode, we're going to separate the audio into two parts. So it'll be today and then Thursday's episode, which will drop in the morning because Wednesday is a 4 p.m. afternoon game. It's a three-game set. And Figgy, this is an early test. You go from the bums of Oakland to a championship caliber team, although it's not like your mom and pops Dodgers, it's still a good team. 3 p.m. game. Uh, these, these game times have been all over the place. It's throwing me off. You got the 10 o'clock, you got 10-10 Monday, 10-10 Tuesday, and then 3-10 Wednesday. And we got some good pitching matchups. You know, David Peterson, big, big outing for him against May on Monday. Tuesday, you're getting McGill versus Kershaw, and McGill has been fantastic. And Wednesday, you get Max Scherzer. Hopefully his back's okay against you want to talk about a guy who might pull out or maybe not Noah Syndergaard on Wednesday you know he's he's pulled out of his start before but Syndergaard has backed out I'll say backed out instead that's a good synonym uh he's backed out of facing the Mets he's been a little crybaby a little a little baby a little little little, little not a boss baby like me but a little little, little baby uh so <laughs> let's see what's wrong with you I got problems it's a little little baby Mets Dodgers in LA. We will see Brett Beatty. Big week. Next show Thursday. The second half of Daniel Murphy will drop on that show. We also will have next week your announcement. It's not in the in it's not finalized yet. Not so finalized yet. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully by next Monday we will have your uh, next job announcement. Thursday. Murphy, we still have our Kode Senga translator interview, Hiro Fujiwara. Great kid. We have that interview in the cards as well. So a lot's cooking. But coming up next you will hear a good chunk of our interview with one of my favorite players, a great hitter, now a member of the Long Island Ducks, a Mets All-Star, number 28, Daniel Murphy is coming up next on Amazing But True. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
now an amazing but true jake brown nelson figueroa is a former mets infielder played in the outfield at one point he played seven seasons for the mets from 2008 to 2015 an all-star in 2014 the nlcs mvp in 2015 where he just kept hitting homers and just would not stop hitting home runs helping the mets get to the world series his final year in the big leagues came in 2020 but he might not be done yet as he will play for the Long Island Ducks beginning in just a few weeks on April 28th. Let's give a warm, amazing, but true welcome to number 28 on the scorecard, but number one in our hearts. One of my all-time favorite Mets, Beef Jerky, as I called him, Danny Murphy, was the name of my fantasy team name. But you are Daniel Murphy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Jake. That's that's quite the open right there. I've been watching the All In podcast, so like, there's a bit of pressure on the on the bit of the the host. To, I'm humbled. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate you uh, sharing some of my accolades that I got to share uh, with the uh, the great teammates I had in New York, like you, Figgy, and uh, the fans as well. How you doing, brother? I'm well, brother. Good to talk to you. Finally, we've been dying to get a chance to talk to Daniel Murphy. And it wasn't that there wasn't a reason to, but man, when uh, I heard that you were making the comeback, couldn't be more excited as a guy who played till he was 40 years old. I knew I had something left in the tank, something left to prove, uh, you know, and I think that uh, I'm really excited to see you in a couple of days, uh, get a chance to see exactly all the things you've been working on and uh, see where that swing is these days. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I kind of set out on this adventure um, and I had really, I won't say no intentions of ever playing, you know what I mean? Probably seven or eight months ago, but very little. That wasn't the kind of the the curiosity that drew me. But yeah, I've been, I've been moving and I like the way it feels. And I started looking for a sandlot to play in and Long Island was gracious enough to let me use theirs. And you talked in an interview recently that, you know, it was your nine-year-old and playing, I guess, with him that kind of got you maybe motivated to play again. Was that the motivation was playing around, seeing the kids have fun and like, you know what, I could have fun again, too, at 38 years old. Yeah, I think that was definitely some of it. I kind of there's something to the movie, you know, Sandlot. I think those those kids had it sorted. Um, Look at my shirt. Sandlot. Yes. Look at that. I didn't even know. Yeah, I see him. Porter right there. And so, yeah, I think just the, not that I didn't enjoy it, but there's a carefreeness that children have when you don't have as much experience from life. And, you know, it's just, it was great fun to just see the joy they got. And then it probably as well really helped me to kind of more intently focus on the pitcher batter matchup, because it seems to me that the cool thing about baseball, it's such a cool game. I didn't know how cool our game was. I've been watching like Ken Burns' documentary and I had very little idea just how cool our game is, but it's, I don't know, like proper Americans, we have a heavyweight bout. The pitcher goes first, the hitter gets to, you know, he, he gets to make the last decision and then all hell breaks loose. 
You know what I mean? And it's, um, yeah, it's a cool game. And so I got to kind of add that into the adventure as well, too. Um, just going through Ken Burns' documentary really was very enlightening. Biggie, a few years away from the game, he's talking philosophically over here. It's like a philosopher Murphy at our Dr. Murphy here. Well, I heard there was, a, I, and I, I hate that I, I forget her name, but there's a woman on in the documentary and she's a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And But she, she talks about that right before they start talking about Walter Johnson. She goes this... She goes, I love this duel, this matchup, you know what I mean, of where the pitcher knows about the batter because you've done it before, and the batter knows about the pitcher. And as, as, as far as I can tell, it's a fight over the wickets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're fighting over the wickets, seven by ten. And so you go, she goes, when she would say, well, when people don't, they ask me, how do you how do you do this baseball? It's just nine people out there standing. She goes, but this in this moment, there's two movements, bang, bang. Yeah. And then we go. Yep, very much like a duel. You got to take aim and fire, and you got to figure out exactly where I'm going, how I'm getting there, and be able to counteract that. And that's the beauty of that matchup. I always talk to people about that seven by ten that you mentioned. What that means, Jake, because Jake they went right by over his head. Seven by ten is the strike zone. Seven balls wide by ten balls high. I simplify that for my pitchers that I train to tell them there's a lot of room in the strike zone, and you don't have to be perfect. Just try to avoid the, probably the 20 balls in the middle of the strike zone and you'll be all right. You know, and so I think for a hitter and someone like you, man, without having the shift now, not that the shift hindered you in any way, because, I mean, that was your bread and butter. Please shift Daniel Murphy. See what happens. He understands his swing. He understands, you know, what, what a pitcher can do and can't do. And he takes advantage of that. I mean, we're watching you hit screamers down the left field line all day long. If they're going to move over. OK, now I'll pull the ball. And that's one of the great things about a guy with a swing like yours. I'm really curious to find out. You talked about you had time away from the game. You watched, you know, all these inspirational things, but the the essence of the swing, what has changed that you think you may have figured out a little bit more that's going to help you? And I appreciate it. And I would say it's more something that I would, I've observed, you know what I mean? This isn't anything I think that I, by any stretch of the imaginations would pretend to say have solved or anything, just something I've observed. And I've basically tried this out on myself. I've kind of treated my, I have a buddy of mine and he said it, he goes, um, basically, uh, like a startup company and I'm using myself to test, you know, this observation that I feel like I've made. So I would say I would start it off. Maybe if I can get down to first principles ish, if you believe that the swing is a turn in a rotation in some capacity from just barely above any turn, you know what I mean? To a figure skater going for the gold. You know what I mean? Like just a rotation. I don't stop rotating or turning until I redirect to run the bases or head back to the dugout. You know what I mean? If I didn't defend the wickets properly, I would say that the swing that, that I honed and um, am very proud of wasn't as concerned with rotating. If that makes sense. That wasn't my, it wasn't one of the main priorities. You know what I mean? Right, right. It was. um, And so what, I would say I end up honing is what I would refer to from a ball flight standpoint, if you're familiar with golf, mm-hmm. is a is a right to left faded ball flight. That's Got the it. ball flight I honed, if that if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Inside inside um, out trying to Yeah, know. it's like well, like, you know, stay on the ball, yep. you know, stay through the middle of the field and um, you know, stay inside the ball. And so I honed a, a fade approach, right to left, and tried to prevent myself from hooking balls low and on the to the pool side. You know, especially once they start shifting because, well, they're standing right there. It doesn't seem to be the case anymore. So I would say with that, now, if the if we believe the swing is is a turn in some capacity, I'm going full full turn. 
Like I'm, I don't want to stop turning and rotating and accelerating my rotation on the turn until I redirect to either, you know, ask somebody if that was a strike on a punch out um, or to, well, to start that all hell breaking loose and hopefully get around the bases. So that, that would, I would say kind of is a place to start. You know what I mean? I'm going, I'm trying to turn. I love Jake's face right now because when I break things down for Jake, he kind of gets that glance over his eyes. Like, uh, I'm not really sure there was a couple of extra syllables in there. Well, you start saying kinetic chain and torque. I'm like, I I was (laughs) terrible in science class. That was not my, that was not one of my favorite uh, subjects. So Figgy throws out some big words, even though my mom did teach SAT tutors. Um, you know, there's still a lot of words that are too many syllables, too big for me. Uh, (laughs) Did the new rules, Murph, you know, the the banning of the shift and everything going on, did that have any influence on you coming back and trying to make a run at this? No, no, I'll try to. I mean, I would say it this way. Like my son loves extended after school because he gets to free play out there and just, you know, he gets observed enough that there are adults there that they don't kill each other, but he gets to free play. That's probably one of the best explanations I could give for this adventure. It's been free play and it's it's made me. Not made me, it's, I think I've always been curious about the swing. I mean, I, I chose this as a profession. We all saw how I defended. So we know I wasn't spending more time defending than I was swinging a bat. So I've been very, very curious about the swing for probably since I was five years old and realized that if you hit this, this stone on the barrel with this stick, adults will like it. And they seem to really want to play with you. I was like, <laughs> you've got me. I can do that. As I was kind of after being away from the game for two years in a unique way, I would say my my passion for the curiosity of the swing was aroused. And then all these experiences started coming back to me, like experiences where like I've been eaten, you know what I mean? You got to get shoveled off because like, well, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes it's people like Figgy who are, you know, they just have to teach you things like, oh, you, uh, you want to be aggressive with a runner in scoring position. Here's a breaking ball in the grass. Why don't you take that one? It's like, nope. I will not take that. I will swing at that. Um, and so I just had all these, and then, you know, these, some of the successes of like, man, it seems like when I moved like that, it's very similar to how I'm trying to move now, but I, I had more difficulty putting my fingers on it, you know, tangibly, you know what I mean? And so it doesn't mean I'm right, obviously by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems to have, it's been great fun for me and I've tested it out as best I know, kind of like moving the same way I would um, to get ready for a season, but it was more play, not an anticipation of, of going to play. You talk about, you know, kind of coming back for the fun and swing and everything. What if you hit well? New York Mets need a DH. They need someone for the final few months as an injury. I know this is more of a fun thing, but what if it works out? Like, have you thought about being back in the big leagues? Because, you you know, 2019, you had a, actually a really good year. 2020, I don't count because they were sticking nasal swabs up your nose every day and it was only 60 games. So, and there was nobody in the crowd. So, your last real season was a pretty good one. So, I feel like you got something left in the tank. Well, I appreciate that. The smart money has me getting shoveled off, you know, on one of these sandlot fields. But <laughs> now I would say that I've, I've set out again. It's when my, when my friend said kind of startup, it, it, it really resonated with me because that's how I've treated it. I've just been throwing, I'll have an idea and I'll grab a bat or a stone. You know what I mean? And I'll just start messing around with it and be like, okay, what do I need to keep? Which of these ideas seem reasonable? I try them out on people. Which ideas do I need to let burn off? Because it's like, oh, nice thought, but that's just too kooky. That doesn't make sense. Get it out of here. So in regards to coming back and playing, the next area I felt to try was 
consistent at bats with creatures trying to get you out who have been practicing their positions, you know what I mean? And want to eat you. And so, well, I've been able to get a barley about 60 at bats and in January, I was able to just kind of collect these um, in different, in different places. I would say coming to long Island, if I were to perform, there is, and this is nothing against the Atlantic league. There, there are sand lots faster than that. And I would have no problems trying like to try it out if I were able to, you know, be productive. And so that's how I've kind of approached it. Cause like you mentioned, Jake, you mentioned success and I'm trying to be, I wouldn't say careful, but if I pick a game, if I play a game that I can win, if I pick a game that I can win and play that, but those are good games to play. If that makes, you know what I mean? And so I'm trying to, I'm still almost trying to formulate what success is so far. Success is to me would be, I, I voluntarily want to show up each day because I'm curious about this. You know what I mean? That's bringing me to the ballpark, you know, um, trying these, you know, getting to play, you know, go out there, express myself with your teammates for a common goal. And so that's kind of been the area of success, you know, each day that I want to do that and choose to do it. So I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that and that's, I would say 95% of the battle is still wanting to do it, knowing you know, the, the grind that you're going to have to go through. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you, I was in the Atlantic League last year and a uh, 13-hour bus ride. Um, mm-hmm. Day day one, I'm like, uh, we had a 10-hour bus ride. And I was like, what time's the flight tomorrow? And they're mm-hmm. like, no, there's no flight. You're going to get on a bus for 10 hours. I go, 10 hours? And then what? And they're like, and you're going to get there and you're going to play the next day. And it just started from there. And me and Fonzie, I had Edgardo Alfonso was the manager last year and I was the pitching mm-hmm. coach. Every day was just like, what's going to happen today? What is going to happen today? And with all respect, like you said about the Atlantic League, there's professional guys, there's guys who played in the big leagues and you'll, you'll have some teammates who have played, Ruben Tejada being one of them. Yeah, uh, Ruby Tuesday. Oh, I love you, Ruby. The guy, like, oh, just as a quick aside, how good yeah. did he look in the WBC? Right? That guy doesn't look like he's aged, aged a day. No. Unbelievable. Oh, He's no, the I, best. It, yeah. So I was, I was very pumped to see, you know, when Ruben was one of the first ones we signed back and then, you know, it, it came out. I remember Wally called me. He goes, you're never going to guess who I talked to. I'm like, uh, I know they had been hunting down Harvey. And I go, Matt, he goes, no, better. I go better. What's better? He goes, he's coming back to be a hitter. I'm like, who is he's like, Murph? I'm like, get out. No way. He's like, yes. He goes, figured out something in the swing and he wants to try it out. And there's no way I was going to say no to that because I want him in the lineup. And I'm, and you're one of, you're one of those guys. Listen, like you said, for better or for worse. And I got to sit there, you know, in the, in the analyst chair and, and watch you play and be able to, and I always told you guys that I would never say anything about you that I wouldn't say to your face. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the things as a, as a former player, there's that trust and there's that respect factor. And when you talk about the whole, you know, the fielding wasn't the best. And sometimes you thought you were invisible on the base paths, trying to take the extra base, you know, yeah. that, always, that always happens, but that's not because of lack of trying or lack of hustle. That's something I always respected about your game is that you showed up and you showed up to play and you gave it your all. Well, my, my one, my one question of course is, I mean, you know, the media can be very cruel. And there was that comment about you being a net negative towards the end of your Met career because I was one of the first people that got on, on, uh, I would say I was on air and I said, let me get this right. We have Daniel Murphy who for all intents and purposes has found a home run stroke to go with a guy who can hit 300 swing and he can play a multitude of positions for you. You got Lucas Duda, who's got a bad back. You got uh, David Wright, who's got a bad back on the corners. Murph can fill in and you guys can rotate. Now I'm, I'm saying this on the air and I sat back and they were like, well, how much would it take to keep him? 
And I started looking at the second baseman in the league and saying how much each guy made. And I said, well, listen to this one. You can't tell me that Oliver Perez as a pitcher getting 12 million a year to pitch. And you saw what happened with that, with walking everyone and everything else. I go Murphy services for 12 million a year, 36 million would be something that you couldn't do easily and say he's worth all of that. And then some because of all the different things he can do. The Ben Zobrist approach, right? being able to play different positions and be an asset no matter what. That to me is where like when I talk about the media and that whole net negative, was that a motivating factor when you left the Mets and went on to almost have an MVP year there with the Nationals the next one? Well, I would say first off that that Gary, actually he specifically came to Vieira the next spring training and we had a fantastic conversation, um, Cohen, um, which was awesome. And then as far as a motivation one of the things that that I feel like was to my detriment and benefit was I was able to put blinders on and just kind of focus at the task at hand. Now, I better pick a proper task to focus on because I would block a lot of things out. So that really didn't come across, I would say, even my 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 view of where I was. You know what I mean? I think I may have heard it kind of in passing, but at that point, after playing the postseason games and what it physically and mentally and emotionally took out of me, um, and I would say us, it was like, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, and, and, and again, like, well, the beauty of the West here in America is like, wait, if you got something to say, you get to say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I get to go out there and just choose what I want, I want to focus on. And so, you know, with that, and then the next year, Swung it well against the Mets. That was probably just Kevin Long and Pat Rossler, you know, I would say giving me permission to try to take chances to the pool side, which is draws to the pool side in my experience and my career is where I'm the most productive. Okay. I'll maybe explain it that way. And so K Long and Pat kind of sat me down and said, well, you have good barrel accuracy. You don't seem to swing and miss much. Okay. Are you getting good balls to hit and where are you trying to use your accuracy? It's kind of the conversation we had. And it basically gave me the freedom to try to hit one in the bullpen with the draw. And I was like, well, that sounds like great fun. I will try it. And I, I was fortunate to have some success early. So I would say the game that um, Jordan Zimmerman, when we played the Nationals, which is about, my goodness, golly, that place was rocking. Like City was just rocking. Grandy gets... Get some get Zim on a breaking ball. I think I get the I get the next pitch, and then Duda hits the two run shot, and the place is like it's the place is coming down. I lost that my was, voice that night. I was in the crowd. I, I lost my yeah, voice. Yeah, well, we all did. And then this is when I, I I had a feeling that that we were on to something with the ball club. Is that we went down to Miami the next day. Um, I'll kind of jump ahead and then come back. We went down to Miami to play the next series, and that place will like that will low, they'll lull you to sleep. And those guys get paid too, and they have motivation, and they find reasons to come out and want to like you know knock your teeth in. And we went down there and got two out of three. And Michael Conforto cracked two homers, I think, and like kind of took the series over a bit. And we got a really good series win coming off that high because Conforto, those young guys bring energy. Golly, they would bring energy late. And so I would say that when Kevin and Pat allowed me the freedom to kind of hit the draw to the pool side, you know, take the shortcut and really try to just turn it loose. I was fortunate to have a bit of success with that early. And then, you know, through August, September, the postseason, and then was able to just kind of carry that into D.C. I had a really good opening day, too, against Tehran Julio with Atlanta, which kind of let me settle into being in like a new uniform. And if you're thinking, which I was, 
how much of that, because it's like the postseason is like, that's not real, but how much of it do I get to carry with me? You know what I mean? Because was fortunate to do some of it, but that's, that's, that's not real, but I get to try to keep some of it and to have a good game that first opening day. And we played well on that series. Um, just kind of let me settle in. And I was also able to fly under the radar there. It was like Bryce and um, Rendon. And, you know, I would just, I'd lie in the weeds on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hit in the five hole. Do you ever regret not coming back to the Mets and finishing the job that next year? They offered you one year, 15.8. You would have got more for the one year uh, per year uh, there, but only one year versus three. Do you ever regret not returning? Well, yes, I would say, I would have to say yes, without a doubt. And it, it, it goes to, I did it. So when you asked the question, I thought it this way. I came up with Yuri's Familia and Juan Lagarth and Tejada. Um, and I learned at the feet of David Wright. And so like these guys are family to me. And, you know, um, I, I still I still reach out uh, to to Jacob, you know, to Grom, who whom I love. And so I would say those are the type of regrets um, that I that I would say I experienced because like. Well, I, I wore the orange and blue you got hanging in the back there more than any of the other ones I wore. So it's not like it's in the bloodstream. And I was fortunate enough to cut my teeth coming up through the minor league system as well, too. So, you know, it's in there. Yeah, I would I would have liked to see him be a lifelong man. I would have liked to see you be here for, you know, you're one of my favorite players. I always remember uh, I was in the Atlanta team hotel 2008 uh, with my parents. And I run into the Nelson Figueroa when he was on the Mets there. And I said, oh, mom, he's from Brooklyn. You should go say something. They went to the same high school, saw him get in the elevator. I run into, I think it was your cousins and your dad going mm. up to our room. And they saw, oh, you're a big yeah. Mets fan. We're, I'm, I'm Daniel's dad. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I love I love him. Like, And we end up giving him a ball. He brought a ball for you to sign. Your dad brings it up at like 11 p.m. midnight. My mom's in a robe, opens the door to your dad with a signed ball from you. Uh, so I remember that, but I don't remember what uh, I had for lunch today. It's pretty crazy. Man, well, but, uh, as the old man, crazy. if he tries to tell you he's going to do something, he likes to follow through. I hope I could uh, I aspire to do that myself. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. And uh, I, that's why I asked, because, you know, I think it would have been interesting. 2016, you know, the Mets could have used one more run in that wild card game. We were right there on the edge one more run and maybe another Daniel Murphy October dinger could have uh, put us over the top. No, it was um, those battles that year in 16 with the Mets were, well, coming in the visiting clubhouse was just unique, you know, and different. And so, um, yeah, the, the fans were so warm and welcoming the first one back and then they booed me the rest of the time is, <laughs> well, how about this? They, they did their job in trying to elevate their team as best they could, which was like, well, you boo the guys in the other uniforms, you know what I mean? In the, in the native clothing. In the, and you had to have a chip clothing. on your shoulder going up against them. I mean, you must have wanted to go four for four every time you played the Mets that year. Some reporters would ask that. say, it's, it's always good to play well against a division opponent. Nah, there you go. That's the smart answer, right? It's always nice to play well against a division opponent. The six straight games with the homer that's still record in the postseason. Did you have like a superstition that morning? Did you have a certain flavor of Gatorade? Did you keep doing the same thing? That run, it just doesn't happen. So there had to been something you were doing those days or some superstition mm. that was working. Or like you wore the What's, same sock yeah. every day. I don't know. I got into a routine, honestly. And this is um, like I was reading a lot of Proverbs because my anxiety levels were through the roof. I wanted to throw up every day, like leading up to it. Like I was sick. Um, I remember Clifford was next to me before game five. It's the Dodgers. And I had read my Proverbs earlier, but they weren't settling on my stomach properly, apparently. And he's like, hey, man, uh, are you okay? You look like you're going to throw up. And I was like, well, I'd like to, but we have a ball game. 
and forward is the only way to go kind of. And so, <laughs> yeah, I would say that it just, that postseason was a lot of fear and anxiety, but each time each one of us kind of together were able to conquer whatever that task was in front of us. We were now the, the individuals who had done that and we were able to take those experiences forward. And so we just kind of started just building on ourselves, pitching so well. And I, I do think it's, it's probably, especially against the Cubs, the early home runs with how well they were throwing the ball. So like to be able to strike early and then give our, give our pitchers a chance to go on defense. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, DeGrom doesn't look like he's on defense and Matt or Matt's or Syndergaard. None of them did. But so I would say of like, perhaps of those ones, maybe the the timing of the ones in game one and two, you know what I mean? To kind of spike when David has the great at bat in game two um, to score Grandy hits the double. Um, and then I kind of jump on him and it's like three, nothing right out of nowhere on top of winning game one. And so, yeah, let's see. Listen, there's important people watching. If you get in a groove, you know, the Mets you could use a bat. I could see you back in the big leagues this year. You know, fans, they have the number 28 ready. You're back in New York. Have you talked with Wally about, are you just going to be a DH? Or are you going to play some second base or what? No, I mean, people weren't overly excited to watch me play defense when they thought I could hit. Now that they're pretty sure that I can't, but I did tell Wally, that's a bit. I told him, run me out at third base, second base, and first base. Those are the places I have experience. I don't want to see myself in the outfield because I don't think that would be good. But we have the the spring training. And I was kind of like, if you like what you see, I've been taking ground balls and throwing. I'm like, if you like what you see, run me out there. If you don't, no hard feelings. Like, this is a meritocracy. Like, you, we got baseball games to win. And, you know, run me out there as you see fit. You know, I'm definitely not opposed to defending. I, I want to – you got to catch this thing. You know what I mean? So, we'll see. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to it. have the Pedialyte ready for the mornings after with Wally. You might have some long nights ahead uh, out in East Islip. I don't know what the local pub is in East Islip, but uh, there could be some some good ones. Uh, and hope you report back to us with some of your party memories with Wally back. Oh, Wally's a treat. I loved having him as a bench coach. And, like, he's a – Wally's a proper sandlotter by my book. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's, a, he's a baseball man right there. A dozen years in the big league, seven with the Mets. He was an all-star. He was an NLCS MVP, and now he's going to the Long Island Ducks just a couple hours away. We're looking forward to seeing you, Daniel Murphy. And thanks for coming on Amazing But True with us. Cheers. Thank you, Jake. No, Figgy, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You got it, brother. Thank you. I got home about 2, 1.45, Traffic was good, though. All righty, Figgy, what an interview there with Daniel Murphy, the half of it. full Again, full video on the New York Post Sports YouTube page. Find that amazing but true playlist and watch the full interview in its entirety. 40-plus minute chat about everything. He is insightful. And I loved hearing personally, Figgy, about how before games uh, during the playoffs, during that you know stretch where he hit a homer every day, he almost threw up. Like his anxiety was crazy. It makes you think, like, wow, he was that nervous and played that well. I'm thinking World Series, his nerves were at another level because he was bad in the World Series offensively and defensively. Not that that killed the Mets because everyone was bad in that World Series. They just didn't have enough to beat the Royals. But that was interesting to hear. And that'll say goodnight to episode 137 of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from New York Post. And shout out to you for getting Murph on the show. Thanks to you, Jake and Andrew Hartz for producing this show. As always, subscribe to Amazing But True on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the New York Post Sports YouTube page to watch all the episodes. 
Find that Amazing But True playlist and you'll see all episodes of our player interviews and clips. Give us a thumbs up below on the YouTube and comment below. Let us know not only what your favorite food is from the stadium, because Jake loves the whole food thing, but let us know the state of the Mets right now. What do you think this team needs? What do you think this team deserves? And for that and much, much more, follow us on Twitter at Amazing But True, at FiggyNY, and at Jake Brown Radio. Yeah, a lot of food, a lot of food. I got to do a food shop. I've been eating so unhealthy. Like, I need to just get my salmon. What happened my to that? Ice, but I was on fire. Well, the wisdom teeth out, and then no, I no, ate no, mac no, and no, cheese no, and mashed no, potatoes. No, 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 Since no, the no. wisdom teeth out, and it, I blame it on the new at City event. Since then, I just nonstop eating poorly. Like, yeah, but before that, you had a nutritionist that was giving you like broccoli and brown rice, and you were. Well, that's trying. what I do. When I do a food shop, I make brock. Bro- <laughs> broccoli brown rice veggies what do you feel do you feel like the uh lie detector right there just zapped him right there when he tried to say exactly what happened there 100 like i'm so unhealthy that i would call it a nutritionalist but it's really nutritionist i i don't even title their job correctly i told you what happened the second time she called she called me on like a friday like 6 p.m when she was supposed to call like 3 p.m thursday when I cook at home, I do do the healthy stuff. The problem is I've been eating out and ordering out a lot, and that's when I go ham and I go crazy. I'm about to f- have my boneless spare ribs with uh, rice now, so <laughs> I'll eat that right after this recording. Um, so we got to get better, and the Mets will have to get better because they have to play a good team this week. They take on the Dodgers for three. We will be back Thursday morning with the second half of the Murphy interview as well as a react to that series. And then four against old friends. You know, they'll face Syndergaard Wednesday, and then Thursday through Sunday, they'll face J.D. Davis, Michael Conforto, and everyone's favorite all-time Matt Darren Ruff, of course, who you could lock the over on, like, over four hits for the weekend. Big week of games against good teams ahead, and we'll see, you know, an early test here for these Mets what will happen, and let's hope Scherzer's good and excited to see Brett Beatty. For Nelson Figueroa, Andrew Hartz, Daniel Murphy, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday after these three games against the Dodgers. Enjoy the series in Hollywood and Figgy, as always. Let's go, Mets. I always wonder if we'll ever get it on time with the Zoom. That was on time? What's wrong with that? Yeah, let's go, Mets. Brock, Brock, Brock.